0: And welcome to this week's message from Ed Carter, Senior Pastor at Valley Church. Catch up on recent messages and find out what's happening in the life of church by heading to valleychurch.eu or follow us on social media. Enjoy the message. Well, this week um, I was going to sort of start the introduction by talking about football. Because I'm a Liverpool fan. But that obviously got scrapped yesterday, so I'm going to talk about the Queen instead, because I thought that's a good, nice, safe topic to start again. So the the Queen's been reigning for 70 years, which is fantastic, and uh, as some of you know, uh, my parents have a farm, and I have the privilege of living on the farm as well, and we have a beacon on Thursday that we're going to light in celebration on the farm, so we're looking forward to everything, and uh, I I hope you often pray for our Queen and for our government, and... uh, the Queen has been an amazing lady, amazing Christian, um, for her entire life, and uh, we thank God for her. Pray that her offspring may do an equally as good job, um, as she has done. And uh, but let's let's just be praying for her. Well, we have over the last few weeks been thinking about, you know how we have this privilege to share the amazing news that God loves people. He wants to have a relationship with them. And um, even though that we've gone far from him, we've rebelled against him, done our own thing, that God still loved us enough to send his son to us um, so that we could be forgiven. So that the judgment that was on us for our rebellion could be taken away so that we could have eternal life with him. And we've been talking about how do we, how do we share this with people? This amazing good news. And I'm, um, I'm going to, I have the privilege of finishing off the series. So we're going to have a look at uh, Samson tonight. And you might go, ooh, Samson, how does that fit into evangelism? But I'm going to explain as we go along. Because Samson is one of the the judges of, of Israel, if you can remember, the Israelites were in Egypt. They wandered around the desert for 40 years, then they eventually entered the Promised Land, and then they had judges until the kings came along. So they had judges for a long time, many hundreds of years. Samson was one of these judges. Now, as we go through the story, whoever wrote the, judge, the book of Judges pretty much wrote all the bad stuff about Samson. Okay, so remember he was, he was a Nazarite, which remember he didn't drink and one or two other things. He was, but in general, he was a pretty righteous dude, right? He did have one serious problem, which we will mention as we go along. And, um, but I suspect for the most part, Samson was a good, upright, righteous, well-brought-up man and then leader of the people of Israel, but his life is kind of interspersed with these rather difficult, sinful moments that he does. And we're going to have a look both at his positive things and his negative things. If you take in notes, this is your title. Five things that will help us fulfill God's mission. So as a church, we exist to glorify him, but to let people know the good news that God loves them. He sent his son to die for them. And so five things that will help us fulfill God's mission. And for each point, I've got five points, each point I have the official title and then I have the shorthand title. You can take your pick which one you write down. The shorthand titles are briefer and more to the point. They're kind of like the basic English version in case you didn't quite get with the big title. So, But I was just praying about it. Um, I just thought my titles are too posh, so I will not use them. And um, well, just too wordy, you know what I mean? Do you know when people really wordy things? They're a bit wordy. So I'm going to, anyway, shall I pray and then stop waffling. Father, we thank you so much that you are here. We thank you that you love us. We thank you. We call us to be part of your family, but also part of each other's family. So Father, I thank you for all my brothers and sisters here in Christ, that we are one together in you. Father, we love you, but also we love each other. Father, we thank you for your joy, for your company. But we thank you too for the joy that we bring each other and for the company that we can be together. So Father, I pray for every person in this place, in this moment, that they may know. They're not alone. They have a whole family called church who love them, who want the best for them, and who just are there for them. Father, we too ask that you help us to open our hearts and minds that we may hear your voice. And Father, pray for any here or any online who don't know you, are far from you, have drifted far from you. Father, you would speak to them. You would call them home, back into your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well... If you turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 13, we're actually going to begin to read the first few verses. Really, this is the story of how Samson came into existence. So we're going to read the first five verses. It says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. That's a long time. A certain man of Zorah named Malnoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless. That's always good news, isn't it? Hi, you're sterile and childless. Thanks for letting me know that. Um, But he said, you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drinks and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth. And he will begin to deliver, and he um, he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. One Peter two, verses four to five, say the following. When I find it. 1 Peter 2 verse 4 says this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, have been built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You may declare the praise of him who called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. We are a chosen people. Samson was a set-apart. He was a chosen individual by God to do things. We need to realize as Christians, as we've got mission, that we are set-apart for God. Or, the brief version, we work for God now. We work for God now. Samson worked for God. We work for God. If we are his, if we are Christians, Christ followers, we work for him. We belong to him first. We don't belong to ourselves. Our families don't own us. Our desires don't own us. Our work doesn't own us. God owns us. The Bible talks about us being bought at a price. And we're here, as it says in 1 Peter, to declare his praises to all. It means if you love Jesus, you can't add Christianity into your life. And I know a lot of Christians who try and do that. They want to follow Jesus and, or they're doing something and they want to add Jesus into the mix as if he, he will kind of help them fix whatever's going on with their life, but he, they want Jesus to fix their life. No, 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 It doesn't work like that. We work for God. So it means that, that we say, God, we're yours. Whatever you want us to do, we're yours. It means that all parts of our lives have an overriding purpose, as it were, circle around Jesus, no longer circle around us. And this has a really important thing. If you, in... Um, Judges 13, you, you'll notice that Samson had to do certain things. He wasn't supposed to drink wine. He was not supposed to shave at all. He was supposed to have long hair. There were certain things he was supposed to do, as well as all the other things that, a, that a Nazarite had to do. He was called to be different. And because we work for God now, we are also called to be different. And you should be different in your workplaces You should stand out as different. Some really simple things should stand out. How you speak. The words you use, you don't swear. You don't blaspheme. You don't use Jesus' name in vain. Those things don't happen. Why? Because you're a Christ follower first. The things you watch and talk about are wholesome and not dodgy. Your use of alcohol. The Freemathist Church is quite strong on alcohol. We want to say, you know, having a drink, we don't mind getting drunk. We do mind. Why? Because it's not scriptural. And these things should mark you out. When you go to a party, you younger guys, you should be the one who's sober at the end of it. And it's not optional. The Bible says, do not get drunk, right? It's right down the line. And there's a whole stack of other things, how we treat each other and all the, all the morals. They should be. Anyway, as a Christian, you should be different. Why? Because you're set apart, you're chosen on purpose to do something for God himself. And we learn from the very beginning of Samson's life that he is set apart, he's chosen. Why? Because he's called to work for God as we are. Then he goes on to say in verse 24 of chapter 13, it says this, The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him while he was in Mahanath, down between Zorah and Estol. God's Spirit began to fill Samson's young life. As a Christ follower, the Spirit of God lives in you. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus predicts that the Spirit's going to come. In Acts 2, that's fulfilled. And we see the Spirit of God fall on the early disciples, all of them. As well as the early apostles, and Paul writes in two corinthians one verse twenty one he says this about the spirit of God It's not two Corinthians one verse twenty one is it, or is it I says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You know, as Christians, as we go on this mission, we need to remember that we are filled by the Spirit of God. Or, better put, God enables us to do stuff. And it's important that we remember it. It's God who enables us to do stuff, not us. And it means... Because God is focused, because the Holy Spirit's focused in us for a purpose, and this purpose is to make Jesus known, make God famous, to, to honor his praises, it means that this Spirit's in us has a purpose as well. Okay? So, yes, God's going to come in and heal you and restore you, but in essence, that's not his chief purpose. He does it to enable us to fulfill the chief purpose, which is to help other people find Jesus. So he, he does these things along the way for us to help us fulfill the purpose of what this why the Spirit is in us, which is to help other people find God as well. But it means a few things. You know, it's are on mission. It means we're never alone. You, you're never alone. You know, often Christians say, you know, there's just me and the world. That's that's not true. There's you plus God and wherever you are. And you plus God's a victory, right? It's a win. And you know when you're on your own and you're talking about Jesus, just remember, you're never on your own. God is living inside you, equipping you. And um, Samson knew this and then he forgot it later on. He forgot why the Spirit of God was in him. And that's why it all goes horribly wrong for him later on. But let us never forget that. It's God who enables us to do stuff. Without God, we can't do the stuff of any purpose of any eternity. It means we're never long. It also means because God's in us that He will perfectly equip us in every situation. We're so often I I think, you know, nervous or scared, you know, what shall I say? Will they go horribly wrong? All that kind of kind of stuff. And you need to stop it. You need to stop saying that to yourself. Stop speaking it over your life. It's not true. God promises He will always equip you to say whatever's necessary. Always. Sure, it might not come out in a, in a perfect sentence or be all logical, but it would be enough to convince people of what they need to hear about God. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in us. I have, a, as it were, quite a unique perspective because of my stammer, right? When I was young and I was trying to share my faith, I stammered. Well, there was no way that I could you know, easily explain the gospel to people because I couldn't get my words out properly. But I always believed that God would help me despite myself. Most of you guys, I imagine, here can speak quite well. You need to believe that God can use maybe your kind of hesitation to go and change your environment because he lives in you. And he will equip you. When you're praying, he'll equip you to heal people. Therefore, pray. Stop being nervous about praying. If somebody comes to work and says, you know, I've got a bad head, you can say, well, would you like me to pray for you? You don't need to make it weird or strange. You'll be amazed at how many people say, Yes, please. That will be really. Why? Because are in pain. And they don't care where the relief comes from. And then you pray and you believe that God can do something through you. But it's not you. It's because the Spirit of God lives in you. And he's the one who enables you to do stuff. Because if it was you, you'd be stuffed, right? But Because God's in you, he can do it. And you know, Samson was this amazing strong guy. And I'll talk a few stories in a second. But he did it because God was in him. Not because he was super strong. And you can do amazing things because God is with us. But it does mean this. No Christian has any excuse not to do anything for Jesus. So when you go, I can't speak because of whatever, I can't pray because of whatever, God's going, there's no excuse because I put my deposit in you so you can do all things through me. Because it's God who enables us to do stuff, not me. I like that. So if it was me, you'd all be in trouble because I'm leading you, right? But it's God that helps us. It's God that equips us. It's God that gives us wisdom. It's him that gives us the words. So this is kind of his beginning, his boyhood. And then we don't really hear much about his teenage years, how rebellious or not he was. But we we, we see him next in chapter 14, where he, he begins to fancy a girl who's not appropriate. A Philistine girl, and those who know your Bibles know the Israelites were called to marry Israelites alone. His parents are very unhappy with this, and and tell him not to do it. Anyway, the whole thing goes horribly wrong. I haven't got time to go through it all, and and he gets very cross at the bride's family and all that, and he kind of leaves his bride at the altar, so to speak. So it goes horribly wrong anyways. And so we get into chapter 15, and he eventually decides he's going to go down and meet his wife. We don't know how many months it's been, but it's a long time, and the Father's already given his bride to somebody else, at which point he's incredibly cross. And he gets so cross, he captures 300 foxes, which is amazing. I mean, how do you suddenly capture 300 foxes? And the Bible just kind of puts it in. He got 300 foxes. Like, where did they come from? Did they have like a problem with foxes? Were they everywhere? I mean, foxes steal things and eat lambs and stuff. I mean, I'm a farmer. If we see a fox our instincts to shoot them. That's all, why cuz they eat our hens and they eat our lambs. They're, that's what they do. I'm sure it was the same in Old Testament times. Where did he get 300 foxes from? Anyway, the Bible says he got 300 foxes. He then did what we would have definitely done, right? He then tied them tail to tail, tail to tail in pairs. I mean, that must have been quite a scary job, right? It's not like he used anesthetic or anything. Two live foxes, he tied them up, and then he put a burning torch. I presume he put a torch in the middle and then lit it later on, right? And then he released them in all the standing grain crops of the Philistines. They were cross because it burnt a lot of them, like acres and acres and acres of their food, which would be. It's called starvation in those days. anyway, They were really cross. So the Philistines, it says in chapter 15, gathered their armies and trampled into Israel. Remember, they were reigning over Israel at the time. They had to for 40 years. and They, they walked in and they I said, why are you invading us? We've been good kind of servants to you. They said, we need Samson. So they went, okay. So the Bible says that 3,000 of them, 3,000 3, went to find Samson and said, look, is it okay if you come with us? At which point, Samson said, as long as you don't kill me, you can tie me up and I'll come. And it says in verse 13, it says this. As Dan said, we will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him from the rock where he was. As he approached Leah, the Philistines came towards him shouting. This is the this Spirit of God. Remember, God does stuff. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone, that means it's still got some of the skin and gunk on it. Like it's a proper fresh, not, because I always used to think it was kind of like dry and dusty. No, this was a fresh one. It just died. It was a fresh jawbone. Got to get the picture. It was kind of the blood on it before he started. And um, he got this fresh drawbone, and, and then he said he struck down a thousand men. And he said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. It wasn't very kind of inventive with this kind of stuff, was he really? And, uh, but then when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramathleah. And then something amazing happened. You've got to just read the next bit. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must, must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised, i.e., the Philistines? It says, Then God opened up the hollow place in Leah, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned, and he was revived. So the spring was called en ha I'm not sure why. And it's still there to this day. They said, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistine. All this, obviously, they knew Samson was strong, but then they saw his power, his raw power. With a jawbone, he, he defeated the Philistines who had shields and spears and swords and army, but he just, he, as it were, he ran amok amongst them, just slaughtering them at will with a jawbone, which isn't that long, right? So the Philistines had absolutely every advantage. And then at the end of it, God showed his blessing upon him. And due to this, he became their leader. But note this. Samson never asked to do it. Samson never asked to do it. If we're going to complete the mission God has given us, we must not strive for position. We must not strive or recognition or thank you or anything else. So this is the the brief on. We serve with no expectation. Or we serve expecting nothing. If We're going to fulfill the purposes of God in our generation. We need to serve and not worry about whether anybody recognizes us, whether we get a position, whether everybody says well done, or whether our ministry is kind of highlighted. We need to serve expecting nothing. Our abilities, our giftedness will be recognized if necessary by God. Remember we serve him and he sees everything, and that needs to be enough. He was—he wasn't—didn't seek position; it was given him. At, in Acts six verses one to four, we read about the early church. They were growing, and and, uh, and the widows who were, who were desperate were seeking kind of help from the church. And in the end, the church appointed some men to serve um, in this. Ministry. And I just want you to note what they say about these people. Verse 1, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebrew Jews because the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this one, i.e. there was recognition about what they'd done and what they'd achieved. They weren't seeking position, but then they were drawn out of the crowd to lead in this particular ministry. If we're going to fulfill God's ministry, I said before, we need to not seek, expect, we should serve with expecting nothing. We should seek humbly because we know who has given us our purpose. We know who's given us the power to fulfill that purpose, the one who empowers us and equips us. And we know importantly that one day our ministry will be over and we'll pass it on to the next person. It's always a temporary assignment. And, um, as we grow and as we develop, if all of us can have this very humble, I'll just do my bit. And it doesn't matter whether I get recognized or not. Honestly, there'll be sweetness amongst us, which will be second to none. There just will be. And, uh, it's so important for us to just hold our positions lightly, myself included. You know, God, you know, God desires to raise up new people to replace each and every one of us, it, each and every one of us, myself included. In due course, and at that point, we need to be able to hand over our ministries with grace, knowing well. There's some things I want to come on in a second, but this this point, I just want to, I want, I want you to understand. This is so important in church as it grows. As different people take over different things. God has a plan for you. It might not be quite what you think it should be, but God has a plan for you. Don't serve, as He served. Don't expect anything in you. You'll be good. Is that okay? And then, for twenty years, we hear nothing about Samson's life. He leads Israel. Presumably, he goes into many battles and has many victories. We presume he subdues the Philistines properly and completely and restores, as it were, the, the, um, the Israelite authority again. We presume he makes, presume he's a judge, he's making decisions, presumably he makes good decisions for 20 years. And um, all these things happen, but we don't know anything about those middle years. But we read when we come to chapter 16, towards this end of these 20 years, Samson still has A problem, a problem with women. He had it in his early life, whenever that was, late teens, early 20s, but he still got a problem with women all these years later. In verses 1 to 3, we read that he's gone to a local prostitute to have some fun with her, so to speak. And um, that that went a bit pear-shaped. The Philistines tried to capture him, but he decided he'd take the door, the door, the doorposts out of the city wall, the whole lot of them, and cart them to the top of a local hill, which was, for any of you who've tried to lift doorposts and doors from our small ones, never mind proper city gates, that is an incredible feat of strength and, and power. Um, and then he falls in love with a woman called Delilah, who almost all of you surely must have heard of, even if it's your first time in church. And, um, and, and uh, he, he falls for her, but she wants to discover his strength, where it comes from. The Philistines come and say they'll pay all the silver to her and she wants the money. She doesn't. It would imply she doesn't really care for him, but she nags and nags and nags. Every time he says something, she does it. I mean, between you and me, Samson's thick, right? It has to be one of the thickest judges ever to live on the planet earth, right? He's got this woman who kind of lies him down, strokes his head and says nice things. He tells her what the the reason for his strength is whether it's you know it's because his hair no, you know because his, his hair needs like tying or he needs he needs like proper new ropes right tie, it says these things they 're all rubbish, she does them to capture him, calls the philistines the philistines actually come, so he even knows what's going to happen right the philistines come and i'm um, and and but he keeps telling her things. And then eventually it says that he tells her the real reason. He says, Well, I'm a Nazarite. I've never drunk, my hair's not been cut, and you know, I'm separate part for God. That's who I am. And and actually, if you cut my hair, then then, then I'll be in trouble. But the thing is, he doesn't believe it anymore. He doesn't believe it anymore. He thinks it'd be okay. And so we read in verse 18 these horrible words. It says, this when when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back at once more, He's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistine returned with silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off his seven brides of his hair. He must have been very asleep, like very asleep. I would wake up, right? Would you not wake up if somebody started chopping your hair off? It's been a long, it's uncalled for. I still have hair left. All right. (laughs) (laughs) He got his hair just shaved off. Let's just carry on a bit. And the Bible says his strength left him, i.e. the Spirit of God at this point left him. He awoke from his sleep and thought, i will go out as before because he thought it was all about him. He thought he was a strong one. He thought he could do it. He didn't realize that actually it was God who had been sustaining his ministry all these years. Him giving him strength. They did not left him. Then the Philistines seized him, They gorged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grind, set him to grinding, in the prison. Number four, if we're aiming successful, sin, weakness, bad habits, we need to keep on top of. We need to work on them over and over again. Shorthand, we need to avoid stuffing it up. We need to avoid stuffing it up. Now, all of us have weaknesses. All of us. So we can get, we go, oh, Samson was a fool and he was an idiot. And I kind of was trying to play a bit. But so are you and so am I. If you think that you're any better or any wiser than Samson, then you just fall into the same trap. Because he thought he had it sorted. He would spent 20 years ruling Israel. He, he thought he had been judging wisely. He thought he was clever. He thought he knew himself. He thought he knew God. He thought he knew what the business was all about. He thought he'd lead until he died of old age. He did not avoid stuffing up. And we need to be careful about that. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 is a, <laughs> I was going to say, it was a favorite verse in my childhood. Um, I think to scare us, but it's true. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, when I find it, says this. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. If we're going to be successful, church, we need to avoid stuffing up. We need to realize that we are sinful people. We do have weaknesses. We do have blind spots. That's the normal human condition. Even though the spirit of God is working inside of us, it is who we are. And it means a few things. And I want to listen real quick. It means we need to know our Bibles really well. So this informs us about our decisions, right? If Samson had just followed the advice of to marry an Israelite who loved God, all this would never have happened to him, right? If just if he'd followed this, he would have been safe. It's the same for us today. We just need to follow this, right? Keeps us safe. We need to pray often that God will show us and, and, and reveal things to us so that we don't stuff up. And if you pray diligently and often, God will show you. Or he'll put things in place to reveal things to you. So you want. Why? Because he doesn't want you to. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Paul writes that there's always a way out. There's always a way out. We're never, we can never say, I couldn't help it. Paul says you can't say that. God always gives you a way out if you're seeking him diligently. And um, find some friends. Find some good Christian friends who will be honest with you. You know, Samson, his parents shouted at him. He ignored them. Find some good Christian friends, and then be a good Christian friend and shout at your friend when they're being an idiot. Is that okay? Because we need it. We need people in our lives who say, this is a weakness in your life. You are being an idiot. It's not what God wants. Stop it. Have those friends in our life. Listen to them. You can always check it out with the Word of God, make sure it matches up. That's that's wise. But if it does, follow it. And like it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, be on your guard continually. Be on your guard continually. Don't stuff up. Avoid stuffing up. And then finally, it says in, whoops, wrong one. It says the very end there in verse 22 of chapter 16. While he was in prison, grinding with a corner where it says this, but the hair on his head began to grow again after he'd been shaved. He had time to think, time to process. And uh, it says, we don't, we're not sure how long after, but it says, later on, the rulers of the Philistines assembled and made a great sacrifice. And um, about a great sacrifice to their god, Dagon. And they wanted to celebrate, and they dragged Samson out of prison. And when when Samson came out, the Bible says this they stood Samson among the pillars. And Samson said to the servant who held his hand, verse twenty six, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women, and all the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof, on the roof alone, never mind everybody down in the courtyards and in the grounds, there was three thousand men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O oh God, please strengthen me. He'd learned, right? He knew. He now realized there was nothing to do with him. It was God's calling, God's purpose. God had empowered him. He worked for him alone. God was the one that was doing it. He realized he'd stuffed up. And he said, God, please remember me. Please strengthen me just once more. Let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, braced himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might. And down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. And they said, thus he killed more when he died than while he lived. 1 John 1 verse 9 says these following words. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will and we'll forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, God hasn't finished with you or us yet. God hasn't finished with you. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, how holy or not you might think you are, how sinful or sinless you feel you are. God hasn't finished with you yet. And Samson realized this while he was going round and round in a circle, grinding grain, that God hadn't finished. He still believed while he was alive that God had something left for him to do, to bring him honor, in this case to dishonor the god Dagon and highlight his God. This, was, this, is, what, this is what Samson was doing at his final, final death. He was destroying a God that was no God with his God. And this is the final thing. God hasn't finished yet. We know there is more to do. We know there's more to do. We always know there's more to do. We talk about the best is yet to come. And this story, Samson did the greatest damage against the Philistines as he died. In his final breath, as he went from earth to heaven, he actually achieved more than he achieved through his entire life. And we haven't finished yet. I believe that God has got so much more for us to do as a church and as individuals. We haven't seen anything yet that our best days are ahead. And at the end of this, as it were, thinking about this this amazing good news we have to offer, I want you to realize that God longs that nobody will be lost. God longs each one of you would see your friends and your family and your work colleagues saved. He longs that. He longs that. Not me, not us as leadership, but God longs that no one will be lost. He's called you that purpose. He has equipped you for that purpose. He has always made a way out so you don't need to stuff out. And he asked that you would fulfill it, that which you have to do. You have more people to meet, more stories to tell, more gospel to share. All of us have more things to do. And it doesn't matter where you've been or how you feel about yourself. God has this so much more to do in our lives. Church exists to glorify God, but actually exists to help those who don't know him discover he is real, he loves them, and there is a way back from where they are. And as we do this mission, as we go into our summer program, which we start next week, as we look forward to the heart of the house and and investing in things to come next year in buildings and staff and all sorts of things, God wants to do greater things through us, not for our glory, but for his glory And let's believe there's more to do. And God hasn't finished with us yet. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, thank you. We thank you for the story of Samson. This man who led Israel for 20 years. We presume successfully. Scripture doesn't mention either way, but we presume successfully. Father, he had a weakness. Which in the end, oh, Father blew his ministry up. And Father, we know in our day that happens still. Father, help us to realize that we work for you, that we're empowered by you. Help us not to seek position, but to serve diligently and be recognized as and when. But it doesn't matter because our true recognition comes from you and you alone. Father, we pray. As individuals, but also as a people, as a, a church. Father, help us not to stuff up. Help us to know your word. Help us to pray. Help us to seek great Christian friends around us. To help us see that which we cannot see. And Father, we pray. If we do all those things, Father, we believe and we, we long for that which you have for us in the future. Because Father, we know you've not finished with us yet. We know that there is greater things to come. So Father, we pray. Bring that. Bring that. Father, we pray you bring a great harvest, many people to know you. Many people are far from you who are lost and without hope, who have no eternity in their heart and soul. Father, who are hurting and broken, Father, help us to reach them and draw them into your kingdom, into your family. Lord God, that then we discover what we've discovered. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. If you've been impacted by it and would like to respond by choosing to follow Jesus, we'd love to help you to do that. One of our pastors would love to be in touch with you. Why not email response at valleychurch.eu or head to valleychurch.eu forward slash next steps to discover more. We're so excited for your future. Be blessed.